Welcome to Bad Films in Good Company, the podcast that does for movies what 2005 Sahara does to Indiana Jones. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you all know what that's in reference to now because we've already done two films in this limited edition series and we're now to the final film in the month of McConaughey. McConaughey. First words ever said on film. Already, it's so sad that we've reached the end of this one I know, it's, it's just a shame that with our schedules we weren't able to get together more because we were planning to do one a week, so we were planning to have four if possible. But schedules just. Schedules always mess us about, but don't worry because I'm going to make a solemn promise now that, that when we hit June. You're going to like it, and we're going to just put as much output as possible in June. <laughs> as the, the, the previously announced June Claude Van yes. Damme. and if you're not excited about that, then I don't even know why you listen to our podcast. <laughs> 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 Who could not be excited about June Claude Van Damme? Well, I suppose if you're not a Van Damme fan, you've, you've got a month off from our podcast, and when July rolls around, it's going to be back to stuff that you love and yeah. you like. Or... Stick with us through June and we'll convert you. <laughs> I think with the choice of films we've got for, for Van Damme, I think that's a statistical possibility, <laughs> perhaps, maybe. <laughs> so what what is the final film that we've decided to go for in this month of McConaughey? Well, this film is one that we wanted to do. I think I said last year about doing it and the use said no we've got to say this to McConaughey because yeah. this is it's perfect BFGC fodder and it's 2002's Rain of Fire now before all you eagle ears should I say listeners realise well hang on a second isn't Christian Bale in that film as well and we know that Ben hates <laughs> Christian Bale why on earth would they do that film well We'll talk about that, I imagine. I haven't heard Ben's we'll, we'll, reaction. We'll, get to, we'll soon, get to that as but we, I imagine, we come into it. I imagine it will make for a very good podcast. So hopefully you've sort of you've made yourself a nice cup of tea or coffee, you're chilling out and you're just gonna sit down and listen to what Ben has to say about <laughs> Fire, Christian Bale. And we will be talking about Matthew McConaughey as well. Of course. How can you talk about Rainer Fire? <laughs> well he's top bill actually, isn't he? He is actually, yeah, I did notice that. That's that's quite interesting. Because I remember thinking, you know, because Obviously, this film is now, what, 16 years old? And yes. In my sort of head, I always sort of thought of it as more of a Christian Bale film. I always thought that he was sort of the main character and Matthew McConaughey was just a sort of a side character. But Don't, don't forget, this... when this film came out, uh, Christian Bale hadn't made Batman Begins, and so he wasn't quite such such sure. a big name as he, he is He wasn't now. the Hollywood draw, was he? he no, was... no. Because this film is, you know, a lot of sort of English and European actors, isn't there really? Maybe Matthew McConaughey is the sort of name that would have made, you know, the commercial success. Oh yeah, yeah, US, he's he's it? definitely the, the the name that would pull people in, and it's one that you would have at the top to to make people go, oh, Matthew McConaughey, oh, I like him. Let's see yeah. this film. So obviously, spoilers. There's going to be through this podcast. So if you haven't seen 2002's Round of Fire. Maybe you'd like to watch it before, because we're going to talk about a lot of the plot and we'll probably give away quite a few spoilers. But if you want to know a little bit about the film, it's basically dragons, isn't it? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is like Drogon's prequel. <laughs> it's basically, have you got a little synopsis that you've made up or have you... Uh, it's a fairly simple story. Dragons have taken over the earth. And it's uh, the film follows a small group of survivors trying to battle through, and uh, then these Americans arrive, and they've got a plan to wipe them out for good. Mm. That's the basic plot of the film, isn't it's it? It's basically it is a monster movie as such, but it's really more of like a, of a general like apocalypse movie. But they've always got like a little hook up. Now it's like an apocalypse film about the you know, the future. And it's all very things are going bad. 
and then there's always a little twist on it where this twist is dragons. <laughs> so, um, it was directed by Rob Bowman, wasn't he? Who he's more most famous for X Files, wasn't he? He did he, he's, he's directed anything that was on television in the 80s and 90s that you, you liked. He's directed at least one episode of, hasn't he? Oh yeah, I'm I'm looking looking back through his list. I mean, even now he's still doing that. He's done episodes of The Crossing, which is a fairly yeah. new one. He's done 29 episodes of Castle. He was a director on Daybreak, which was a, a show I really liked. About a guy who lives the same day over and over again. Yeah, directed lots of the X Files. Yeah, he was one of the main. I mean, obviously he did, he did the film, didn't he? So he was like one of the main directors. He was. I think he did about 50 odd episodes or something. He was. But he's a really. I like him as director, like especially his episodes of the X Files. He's always when I saw his name come up, I know that because he's a, a big film fan. He's kind of into that. He's you know similar to kind of like your Josh Whedon's and people like that. You, you sort of know they really understand like the language of cinema and they're really yeah. and they know how to put film together. That's one of the th- I think that's one of the reasons the X Files was so popular is because it, it was genuinely cinematic. It wasn't yeah. just TV cinematic. There was there yeah. was a real there was, there was a scale that belied the budget that, that the show actually yeah. had his name's on this film so you think yeah great it's going to it's going to go well it, I was looking at the writers I can't remember now the because there's about five or six people attached to it but interestingly or maybe not so once we talk about the film they've <laughs> They didn't really do much before this and they haven't done a lot afterwards <laughs> so a lot of the because uh, you always sort of you know go to the right think oh yeah, I wonder what else they've written you know, they've written something else that I really love and I think one of the guys has done something not like 14 is it 14 oh eight that one with John Cusack and the Stephen yeah. King one or yeah. I think he did the screenplay to that but <laughs> he was also an uncredited writer on Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that should be a franchise and that was it we did the Children of the Corn <laughs> if, if I could stomach sitting through like all 4,000 entries of the, I don't know how many yeah. there are I think there's about 7 or 8 or 9 something like that couple if I could stomach the first couple are genuinely sort of quite freaky but I think the rest of them just turn a bit crap but anyway before we sort of get into it then did you had it been a while since you'd seen this film or is it yeah it, it's probably about five or six years since I've actually sat down and watched it I think the the last time I've seen any of it was a few years ago I think it was just happened to be on Sky Movies when we'd ordered a pizza or something yeah. like that I haven't sat down and physically watched this film start to finish for for, for a good few years, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, I was saying, no, it's the same with me. I can't remember the last time I sat and really watched it properly. It was probably when I rented it out in 2000, it probably would have been 2003 by the time it was on DVD. Probably, yeah. And, yeah, I've, obviously, I own it on Blu-ray and I've caught it a couple of times, but I tend to, like I said, either watch it, you know, when we're sort of arsing around having the pizza and watching it or generally with other people around so I've never sort of sat down and concentrated and well especially when we do the podcast because you always give it an extra level like when you do yeah, yeah. the podcast so it had been a while well what were your thoughts before you re-watched it was it a film that you obviously you own it on Blu-ray so oh yeah yeah <laughs> it's one of those films I think you you kind of have to own it on Blu-ray because yeah. it fits nicely on your shelf it's one of those films I don't want to say I was nervous re-watching it because I, I I knew I was going to enjoy it, but there was kind of a touch of nervousness because I think I've I've made uh, made a rug for my own back with the Christian Bale thing. <laughs> it's it's not strictly one hundred percent true that I that I hate him. I just <laughs> yeah. don't like him as a as a, as a screen presence. And, and so there was that little bit in the back of my head, sort of thinking, yeah, but I remember quite liking Christian Bale in this. I, I'm not going to lie, I still enjoyed it. I can see problems now that maybe I didn't before. Or maybe I did see, but kind of just ignore because yeah. I was enjoying the film. But I think it's still a solidly entertaining movie. How, yeah. how did you find it on a rewatch? I I have to admit, when I I'm I'm the sort of same. I got it in my head. This film basically, the reason that I bought it on Blu-ray is probably for one scene, which we will get to later on in the <laughs> film. And yeah, I did, and I enjoy these. You know, when I, I'd watched it and obviously enjoyed so I bought it on Blu-ray and I remember at the time thinking yeah this is great obviously the, I think that well, in fact we'll talk about I think the dragon effects really still actually hold up considering they're, they're frighteningly good but I have to say I found it a little bit hollow this time that I watched it I think it's brilliantly directed and it's everything about it I don't know, overall the acting is good uh, for me I think the script is 
is really, really weak for this. You watch the film and you don't get into the characters enough. I think the they could have made more of the playoff between Quinn, Christian Bale, and Van Zandt, who's Matthew McConaughey. I feel like they they could they they should have eliminated some of the other characters maybe, mm-hmm. and had more screen time for some of them. It felt when the end. There's there's a scene at the end when you got uh, Isabella Sorocco's character. I can't remember what her character's name, and she says to him when the uh, you know, spoilers, you know, Matthew McConaughey does die in this film. Yeah. He says, "Oh, he knew, he always knew you could do it." And I was thinking, that's not earned that because no, it, there was no, never cause... really that kind of thing. Like he thought, "Oh, he, he's trying to make him feel better." And I feel like there was perhaps it was lots of stuff cut out because it's it's actually quite a lean film, really. It is, it? yeah. I I actually felt like watching it this time that there was half of it was missing. Mm. In some respects, similar to Underworld, it's like that they've created this world uh, and they know the story that they want to tell, but for, for whatever reason, there are bits of the story that, that are missing or that yeah. haven't been set up. But you've kind of... You've hit on a one of my big problems watching it this time, and not strictly Christian Bale's fault, although I will come back to that later... Christian Bell's character, Quinn, is not sufficiently different enough from Van Zandt because they're both similarly intense and sort of simmering anger yeah. and everything like that. Whereas there should have been a counterpoint between them. Yeah, he should have been more like a brains type person, more like a book smart type thing or something like that. No, mate, I, mean, I don't have a problem with the character. I think he... Quinn's backstory yeah. works perfectly within the frames of, of the story it's telling. It's the characterisation, I think, that has the problem. Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey, they, they're almost like, every scene they're in, they're on the verge of crying. Like They're so <laughs> intense, like in almost the way that they're delivering every single line. It's like they're about to cry. <laughs> There's something about it. I don't know if that's how they were directed, or not, to bring the intensity to it. And in some scenes, obviously, it works, because that, that's... One of the big centre points of the film is about how this group of survivors have got their own way and they're surviving the, you know, nice yeah. in their own well, as nice as it can be in the post-apocalyptic world. But then, you know, they're introduced to these other survivors who've got such a, a different approach to how to, to do things and it's that that conflict and we don't get a a lot of that. It's sort of that happens for about sort of ten minutes into the film because really Matthew McConaughey doesn't come into the film till at least thirty minutes into it. Mm-hmm. And this is only an hour and forty minutes long. This film, so I've got a lot to say. <laughs> the the opening scene where you've got the young whoever they picked for this this terrible is young Christian Bale. And obviously everything in this scene is ADR. Everyone is dubbed to hell, isn't oh, it? And it's so racist that all of the uh, workmen are Irish and they're like drinking and smoking. <laughs> Nobody smokes on the building site, especially when you're digging underground with all no, the gases and stuff. There are people like walking past. No, like, like using like the like the furnace lighters to light the cigarettes as they walk. I mean, I know obviously the Budweiser was there, just that was just a pure product placement. Oh, like, and they were using the um, the night what's it the liquid nitrogen to no, make I, it. I thought they just used a normal fire normal was, fire extinguisher just to cool it, it down. It was. <laughs> It was just kind of... It was funny the way they do that. And he's not even wearing a hard hat. You cannot get onto a building site without wearing yeah, a hard hat or a lanyard. You can't get on there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really nitpicking, but as I was watching it, I was like... I've got to say, there wasn't a high-vis in sight. No, that it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I did, it is weird, though. With that whole scene, you see this school kid get off the bus and then he walks around and then he just walks onto a building site and he's like... Just walking past these yeah. people, have they not noticed that a child has just... Yeah. wandered somewhere where they shouldn't haven't they watched those public information films from yeah. the 1970s the dark and deadly water where none of the Donald Pleasant's coming up oh god that's that's, that's, that's good still chilling um, yeah it was just it was just kind of quite funny and the um, just the way they were doing it and the kid Christian Bale not to know or Quinn shouldn't call him kid Christian Bale but whoever was doing the voice, it's like, oh, we just dragged him out of like some Oliver Twist thing on the stage. It was, it was like, oh, please, sir, can I have some more? He's like a really like, terrible sort of Cockney accent, wasn't it? The scene where they, obviously Christian Bale finds, as a young kid, finds the first dragon. And he, so as, you know, as they're building a new underground or whatever they are in London, they're doing it and they release these dragons. I did like the scene where they come back up in the lift and the dragon crawls. I think that's quite a it's awesome, really, really quite well good. shot. And the, the, the dragon, because I thought that, I was thinking, oh, you know, because we, we, we're so small now, we've been watching Game of Thrones and some, some of the dragon effects are amazing, aren't they, the Game of Thrones now, and I thought, 
this is going to be like really sort of terrible. Actually, the worst was the fire. Some of the CGI fire looks a little bit dated. It's a little bit. Especially on the explosion bits, yeah. But, yeah, but, but the, the dragons were amazing, weren't they? In fact, yeah. I was going as far as to say, just some, uh, the actual design of the, the main dragon was like slightly better than some of the ones on Game of Thrones. <laughs> I think it, I know that might offend some Game of Thrones fans. I think, you know, we are massive Game of Thrones fans. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, I love the big dragon. Like, he's got a lot of holes in him. So obviously, like, he's had years of people, like, he's been fighting and stuff. It was just, yeah. it, was, it was a lovely design. I thought that was uh, that was one that the thumbs up in the film for me. Oh, so. God, definitely. That, that, effect, that, that effects work. It'd be, it's 2002, but. That it really, really does hold yeah. up. Mind you, I, I haven't rewatched really it, but I thought like Dragonheart was quite good in about ninety five or something, wasn't it? I thought the effects. That's that's one. Was that, that actually was that CGI? Was it like was it actual? Was that a mixture was, of. Um, I think that was CGI because I remember it was one of the first kind of big sort of like. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I remember seeing a making of on on TV at the time, and and it was they had a a, a green cardboard cutout head so that. Um, Dennis Quaid knew where to look for it. Oh. Plus, don't forget you've got you've got the uh, the inimitable charm of Sean Connery. I, I'd like to rewatch it. It's been a long time since I've seen that. I'd like to revisit that. It's not a podcast film, but just in my personal life. So obviously, just you're not interested. Yeah, you're not interested. People listening, but that's where I'm going to. Although it was quite cool, obviously you've got Christian Bale and you've got Matthew McConaughey, and I thought when we're introduced to Christian Bale as the older Christian Bale in the film. He enters the film in the most Matthew McConaughey way. He's like his oiled up shirt <laughs> off, doesn't he? Like doing something hard and physical. <laughs> the, the thing is that when we first see old Christian Bale, well, regular age Christian yeah. Bale rather Present than day Keith, in the film Christian Bale. His case is actually quite personable because he is quite light, which we're not used to with Christian Bale because he tends to give an identical performance in every single film that he's ever in. Just like this really broody, intense thing. And then he'll do this this smile or laugh that's meant to be, oh, look, I'm really crazy. He does it a couple of times in this. Mm-hmm. But he's quite personable and he seems to have a, a, a level of charm that we don't get to see. Maybe it's because it's like this is kind of pre, you know, Christian Bale blowing up and doing Batman and doing... Was this pre-American Psycho? No, no this was after American, American Psycho, Psycho. Yeah, that was the midnight, mid late nineties. Yeah, I think. I think yeah, it must have been mid ninety nine, something like that, wasn't it? But it, it, it's definitely in the sort of like say pre kind of like Hollywood Christian, Christian Bale. So maybe he hasn't quite got the attitude on set that he might have had in some of the later films. I'm <sighs> mentioning nothing that you can't look up on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're introduced to uh, to. Uh, an actor that that we quite like, Gerard Butler. He looks so young so, and so exactly. thin. Exactly, Gerard Butler. Holy <laughs> shit, Gerard Butler looks young. <laughs> and thin. Because yeah. when you see Gerard Butler now, you, you're used to seeing him from like 300. You'd like, imagine now he would play like maybe the Christian Bale role or the Matthew McConaughey role. You, that, that's the kind of person we see him as, as like yeah. an action hard bastard star, isn't it? But he's. We forget. That he can be quite a quite a charming, yeah. likable person, but he just doesn't get the chance to, again. No, no. It's something he doesn't get the chance to no, do no, anymore. He's got sort of got typecast, but hey, he's making the dollar, so he just as far as he just goes with it. Hate is gonna hate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, what I love is like the it's kind of setting up this world, and you've got like the you've got all the kids and stuff there, and they're doing all the they're doing like the performance of Star Wars for the kids and that because obviously they've got no entertainment to see. That's a lovely touch. It's, that it's is. That's, cool. that's really nice. And but the best bit about the scene is when they do like the the Cobra Kai thing with the kids when they're saying like, "What do you do for see a dragon? Run first, run first." <laughs> no mercy. Back. No mercy. That's all I thought of was Cobra Kai when I saw that bit. Um, one of the questions, you know, I've got a lot of questions about the film. The, the one of the big things about the the, the first bit of the film is that they've got a. Their crops that they're growing, and then you know, should they harvest them now or should they wait longer? So they, but, but one that didn't understand is why have your crops so far away from where you, you live? Because they looked like where the crops were. There was like some out there were some buildings there, and there was some of the stuff. It seems bizarre that you would have to like go out and drive, given the current situation. That the f-ing dragons everywhere looking <laughs> for you. I'm gonna have some medicine to go yeah. on. <laughs> I said fook. <laughs> Maybe there's just no arable land by that castle thing, and, and they possibly. It just, it just sort of thing. I thought, oh, you know, 
you know, it, it's contrived, but hey, hey, we'll go with it. I, I, I did have a very hypercritical point uh, on that note because there's this family that this this guy that that's adamant that he's just I'm just going to go out and harvest the crops. Mm. You know, I'm hungry. I haven't had a BLT in months. You know, so <laughs> and the problem with that is I actually don't feel any sympathy for for that family at all because they're twats. they're putting everybody else at risk because he wants a snack. And he can't, he, maybe he kind of when I was watching it this time because I had the I thought that when he came back that like Christian Bale would have given him like a beat down or something like that about it. But he kind of like oh I can't really blame him. So it kind of maybe. It serves as showing you like that he's he's not actually that sort of strong a leader in the same way like that Van Zam would have like given the whoop down when they probably could do it. Probably beaten him to death yeah. with that big big crazy axe pick thing that he's yeah. got. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you mean with that. But I did like the it's a nice little touch is the fact that they've got the fireproof suits and they've got those little tanks with like the sprinklers over the like red the tires. So it's quite interesting. It's, I like the way they do that. The, there's some lovely design work and there's there's been you can tell there's been a lot of thought put into yeah. how how the world is and how it's put together because right at the start, uh, when we're introduced to quote present day, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're building like a sprinkler system in the basement to make sure it stays cool. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how that would work in reality because you've got all that water and if it's superheated it might turn to steam See. and everybody would cook <laughs> but I, I like the idea of it they're having to it's, use water as defence mechanism yeah, stuff, yeah. Uh, it's very very cleverly put together like I said I don't I'm not sure whether the science is actually valid but I will I will go with it because you look at it and you think oh that's nice I like yeah. that well they said that if, if like say you don't mind when, when the world building if it's if it's Improbable, but they, if they're consistent with that, you know, the way they use the water and the way, if they, if, if it's used consistently, you just go with it as part of the yes. film. So yeah, that was. Uh, it's fairly consistent in terms of in terms of tone and and the world building and, and the characters that are in it. But it, I will say that the, the opening bit it's actually probably more interesting than the stuff that happens later. It's not as entertaining. But it's more interesting. It's it's kind of dry, but you do get a feel for the world, and you you kind of feel for the characters. I think because Quinn spares the father, and yeah. because he's lost family members, and that they're so short of people anyway, you do get the sense of community. Um, and when Van Zandt comes in, you don't feel it shatter the community the way the film wants it to. No, I think that's the. That's what I was saying before. I think because really, like I said, it's a dragon film, but it's more about how humans are dealing with the situation. It's like zombie films and things like that, not The Walking Dead. It's not so. It's not about the terrible things happening. It's about what, in in a way, how humanity actually copes in situations. Yeah. And that's what this film could have been. If they'd have had more, obviously they didn't have to make it an entertaining thriller action film. They could have made it more of just a drama about how these communities are coping. You know, some people wouldn't have liked it, but it would have been an interesting thing. And yeah, I know you mean when Van Zant arrives, he doesn't. He kind of lets him in straight away, and he's, he's sort of. Yeah, it, again, this all points to my feelings that, that some bits of it have been cut, yeah. and that, that certain things haven't been set up either for. For, for time reasons or for, for budgetary budgetary reasons, because I've had yeah. to remove a few bits. Yeah, I, I know, and it's it, it does when when um, McConaughey does finally arrive, Van Zandt. It's a great line from Jared Butler when he says, "That's my favourite line in the film." He says, oh, "There's only one thing worse than dragons, Americans." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, as soon as I heard that, I just thought, "Yeah, I've got to write that down." That's a cool thing. I do like the sort of wardrobe department of Matthew McConaughey. He's got like a kind of like a like a sleeveless bomber jacket thing on the collar, and like the ball <laughs> head and stuff. He looks kind of he looks insane yeah. in this film. And he's back. It, for the like for the first twenty minutes that he's in the film, he looks like he's just about to go into a workout because he's constantly like stretching. He's like making himself big and stretching his arms about and stuff, flexing and everything like that. 
but, you know, he's in shape, so why not? <laughs> why not do it? Why not? He doesn't actually get his shirt off that much in his film. It's not really till the end that, uh, no. that he goes fully topless and you get to see his, his dragon tattoos. And it's, I mean, let's let's be honest, who actually gave him that tattoo? Did he have them before? <laughs> before the whole thing went down? If, if yeah. so, he must he must be about, like, 50? With Because obviously you've got the backstory, the dragons have come, and the, this is a slightly different world, because in this world, like, dragons destroyed... Dinosaurs. That was like in the year that their theory, rather than the asteroid, it was that dragons years ago came up and they burnt all the dinosaurs alive. And I actually would have. I mean, one, I want to see the prequel is like Jurassic Park versus <laughs> the Land Before Time. Yeah, I want to see, I want to see that film. And also, it seems a bit silly, really, like for the dragons, like their existence is like to burn all of your food. It's, it seems like a bit of a issue. Well, they consume ash. That that's that mm. is their food, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, but, I've, but, but, but they're eating other because he's saying like they're eating themselves at the end. Like the dragon, he's eating. He's saying they're starving. Well, and they're may- eating. maybe he kills a dragon, puts it on the floor, burns it to ash, and then eats that up. I don't know. I'm just being nitpicky. I mean, at the end of this film, you know, it, it takes two guys and a girl to destroy these dragons, and they're saying like, oh, all these war powers are using their nukes and everything. They can't destroy. You're thinking. Oh. Surely they would have been able to have like dealt with it at some point. You've you've just made me want to film where where dragons are stopped by by the old by the characters in the old Ryan Reynolds comedy. Two guys, a girl, and Peter Pace. Two guys, a <laughs> two guys, a girl, Peter Pace, and the dragon. The slide shows up at the end instead of showing up from the last dragon. <laughs> the, oh yes, because the last. Oh, oh dear. We're off at a tangent already. There we go. That's that's the film. Ah, <laughs> uh, the late Julius J. Carey the Third is yeah. playing the voice of a dragon. <laughs> uh, I'd forgotten all about the bits, the fact that they've got the helicopter and that they've got the like catch the dragons with the nets and all this sort of. That was yeah. a big thing as well at the time. That kind of like what, what do they call it? The sky diving thing with like the wings, the, the wingsuits. Wingsuits. They yes. were sort of just sort of coming out at that time, so they were quite big. And then they, they destroy a dragon and they have that big party and then they're all celebrating and the Americans come in. Now, for mm-hmm. me, that's the most unbelievable thing in the film. I can believe in a world that there's dragons, but I don't believe in a world where it's the Americans who are telling the British people not to over-celebrate and be gung-ho and make <laughs> all the pathos because telling you it's completely the other way around, isn't it? <laughs> so that, that's the most unbelievable part of the, um, of the film. And... Another thing kind of leads into, like, which I think you said, you know, there's some of the script missing is they make it a big thing about this sort of whole father figure type thing, like he's been a father figure to that younger guy. Yeah. And there's like a little throwaway line at the very start of the film, but like he's saying, you know, can my dad come to this? And so obviously, like, he's had an absent father. And yeah. I think there was probably more of that in the scripts. They never, it never really pays off that much. You, you don't sort of no. feel it. I think it was. Another thing that was sort of missed out. Just another observation. I get the feeling that was probably something that was that was cut for time because yeah. one thing I do like about it is that the pace is 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 nice. It, it yeah. flows quite quite well. Yeah. So I think the di- the direction is. I think he with with the script that he got. I think he really works. You know, he just he, he squeezes every ounce of it out and then and puts it all out there, and you kind of work with all these. We're not, we're talking about these little flaws that we're having because we're sort of being sort of overcritical about it. But it, you know, you probably aren't. You don't notice. It doesn't feel like it drags at any time. There's even though there's not a lot of action for a for large part of the film. Yeah. it doesn't feel like it's dragging that much, does it? No, no, not at all. I mean, um, because it breaks up the action bits nicely. So you have. You've got the the big opening bit where everything goes wrong, mm. and then how the how the how the world just fell apart, and then you have the the, the castle and setting up this little community, then the, the action sequence in in like the the, the garden like, yeah. like the allotment basically, um, then another little bit of peace and quiet. Then the Americans turn up, and then you have the big aerial thing. For me, actually, I would have preferred to see a successful hunt first, and then have one, then try and see them take down. Like the alpha male dragon, yes, and yeah. that, that's when it goes wrong and everybody dies. Yeah, and that's when they have to decamp off to London to. Yeah, I think it's. But hey, that's that's yeah, that's, that's that's. I mean, the, the film is is fine as it is. It, these are just like little little things that I've noticed, but it spaces out 
the action and the dramatic bits quite nicely so yeah. that, that you never feel bored and it's not like just it's not just a gung-ho kind of action film either is it so it's uh, it does balance quite nice I mean I, I don't think I'd rush back to watch this again for a while after watching it you know re-watching it now you know maybe another 10 years or something like that it's not so you know this is not like The Rock or a Demolition Man or something that's kind of just easily no. It flows along nice, but it's not a super easy watch, is it? Because you know, there's, apart from the one scene which we're going to get to in a bit, obviously the bit in where they go to London, the, the finale of this film is eventually they discover that there's only one male dragon and it's he's populating all of the female dragons. So the only, you know, the way to stop it is kill the male. And they obviously this male is the one that was in London, so he knows where, Christian Bale knows where he's, I'm missing a couple of bits there, but you'll, if you've seen the film, or watch it anyway. Well, be, because he was there when, when, when the, the dragons woke, woke up, he knows where where he's based. Yeah. So so they go on a little sort of three, well, three men, two men and the women, hunt, and chaos ensues, doesn't he, for, this, for the final 15 minutes. And then you get Certainly, Matthew McConaughey is greatest moment in cinema, and quite possibly <laughs> the greatest moment in cinema. Would you like to explain what happens? Uh, would would this be the bit when he climbs up to the to the top of a tower? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I'd say one thing about that scene is that I didn't realise that like the superimposition effects yeah. were so terrible. Oh yeah, that was that, that was <laughs> like that's the, because the rest of the, you know the lot of the, they haven't used a lot of back like screen in in that film at all at that until that point. So when that happened and especially on blu-ray it's so noticeable yeah. oh dear i so yes uh, they're going to track him down and they, uh, but vanzan being this kind of psycho dragon killer it's like he's got to be the one that does it so he climbs up to the top of this uh, why you've got some big chimney stack right in the center of london i've been in the center of london i've never seen a giant chimney stack there yeah. but he gets to the top of this chimney stack and he's got this axe pick. I'm saying axe pick instead of pickaxe because one side is an axe and the other side's got a pick on it. Oh, it's because he's, he's got the arrow first, hasn't he? He's got the explosive Explode, arrow. Because ex- they want to shoot the yeah. exploding arrow into the mouth of the dragon just before he breathes fire and his face will explode kind of thing. That, that's the theory, but um, it doesn't quite work as planned. So he strips off. <laughs> to, so he just shows his, shows his buff body off. Which, again, you know, why wouldn't you? And then he decides to jump off this chimney stack. The dragon is, is heading straight to him at this point, isn't it? <laughs> and he jumps off this chimney stack. It's in the trailer. You yeah. can see it for yourself. You don't even have to watch the whole film. And he just, I, I think it's a cheap death. I think it's a cheap way of it to it go. It is a cheap, because he wasn't going to, nothing going to happen. But he could have, like, just climbed down. But the, it's filmed so brilliantly because he, he does the jump. And the, it, the best scene now is the cut, watching him underneath and just seeing how much air <laughs> he's got. Because he's got, you know, they talk about, is he Bob Bowman in 1968, the jump of fate, when he's like the long jump world record. This jump is, is about 20 foot off this thing. And then he just gets eaten by the drag. It's just brilliant. It's, I, I, watching it, I lo- loved that when I watched it before. But watching it today, because we are celebrating McConaughey, I thought to myself, he deserved better than that. Yeah, he, I'd have liked to see him like on the back of the dragons, like trying, like hacking away at him with like like his pick. You could have at least got a shot in first on him yeah. before like you went down. I can say he just it felt a, a bit cheap this time. Is this the only Matthew McConaughey film where he dies? It can't be. There's got to be another one where where he dies. I can't think I mean, of any off the top of my head. I mean, head. I imagine he must die in Dallas Buyers Club. He, that that might be long after the film is finished, but we yeah. know that character because he's based on a real yeah. person. I know he did that one frailty where he was a serial killer or something like that, or with Bill Paxton or something. That's, like that. that's such a good film. So I think that was directed by Bill Paxton as well. So it's but the anyway, it was just fun. it was just weird after from sort of like Ghost of Girlfriends Past last week to, to watching him with a pickaxe <laughs> or an axe pick as you say straight into the mouth of a dragon. Boy, he is intense in this film. Yeah. He is he is so intense, and uh, uh, this is I think again um, it's not necessarily Christian Bale's fault per se, but he tries to have an intense off against Matthew McConaughey and just comes out a, a, 
a massive second place. Well, I... Because <laughs> McConaughey barely blinks in this film and his eyes, are, he's, he's got those, he's got these really piercing blue eyes anyway. Mm-hmm. But when he's being intense, shaved head, huge beard, and just talking about something like really, like when he's talking about all his friends yeah. dying at the hands of, of these giant monsters and the intensity is there. It's like, wow. When I was watching this, I wanted to like Christian Bale's performance because I, you know, I knew that you were going to be negative about it. So I thought, I'm going to try and find something good so we can have a counterpoint. But his entire performance was, for me, physically, you know, on the screen he was fine, but his, just his accents was so bad to me. And I don't know if it's because he looks like he just had some veneers put in his mouth. His teeth are so white, which yeah. why would you take in that post apocalyptic world? You wouldn't have teeth like that. You know? <laughs> just be, they would be a bit sort of yellow. Maybe he was but, a Colgate representative and he just had a massive stockpile before everything went. But he's just got that kind of... The way he speaks, he's just... it. You can tell he's acting. That's the thing about it. It look. It looks like he's putting the. You know, putting the voice on really heavy. It, it's almost like a fake Cockney accent. It's yeah. not quite that bad. It, it's believable it's not enough. Van Dyke sort of um, no. Mary Poppins bad, but it's. I, I think it's believable as a, as a Cockney accent, if not. It's not accurate at all, yeah. but it, it kind of has. It would have been so much better if they got Danny Dyer instead. To oh, I see Danny Dyer in Rain of Fire. <laughs> Danny Dyer's Rain. Danny Dyer's Rain of Fire. Rain of Dyer. That's how oh. it Now I would, I would, I would definitely, definitely queue up the cinema to watch that. Well, it, it got me talking about that. I think sort of now, if they made it, obviously Christian Bale wouldn't be in this probably anymore. But at the time, I don't know what, what state he would have been in. But if they'd have got Jason Statham instead of Christian Bale to play that role, but the only thing is, he I don't look... believe that McConaughey could beat Statham in a fight. <laughs> and the thing if they had that, that would have been an unbelievable part in it. <laughs> well, if, if you think in Fast and Furious Seven, or is it? I th- no, Fast and Furious 8, when The Rock and Statham have their fight in that film. And they, they kind of, they begrudgingly give each other respect. Mm. You know, you look at The Rock, his, his arms are as big as my waist. There's no way I would believe that... <laughs> oh, I don't know, now I'm thinking about it, McConaughey's a good enough actor. That he could he could sell that. He could sell. I, I, I just, reckon he could sell that, but not if he had the shaved head. He, I think he would have to have some kind of golden locks as a counterpoint to. Because uh, if, if you see Statham, you just think winner. No, no, that's, that's just what you think. So, um, but it would have been it would have been quite cool to have seen that. You see, I think maybe you have the film there. It's Danny Dyer in the Christian Bale role. And Jason Statham in the Matthew McConaughey role, with Gerard Butler doing the same character. See, so I think you should have Danny Dyer doing the Quinn role, and then that Tamir Hassan. <laughs> 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 or no, Tamir Hassan. Tamir Hassan, and everyone. And, uh, no, what's his name? That was in. Um... Directed by Nick Love. <laughs> it was in the Football Factory with. Um... Oh, what's his name there? I know. Ex- I can see Neil his... somebody. I can see his face. I cannot, for the life of me, remember his name, but I know. You know, yeah. He's, he's the one. It's sort of like if Danny Dyer turns it down, we'll have this guy instead. Yeah, there's, you know, there's that thing. That would that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> that would just be like a mad, crazy. Or well, they could fest. bring back, you know, reunite from um, what was the one that we watched with Danny Dyer? That kind of farcical one. Neil Morrissey. Yeah, bring back Neil Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> that, Neil that, Morrissey. That's a ticket I will buy. <laughs> It's, no, that's okay. a ticket I would buy just to, and then I would put it in the bin just to make sure that there's one seat in the cinema that no one will have to sit through that atrocity <laughs> that sounds terrible I have to say that when we started this cast I thought it would be me that would be meaner about Christian Bale but it turns out you've been a bit harsher than I have you know it's funny like that because I, mean, I was trying to find something from his performance <laughs> but it just I think he's his performance and his acting and the way he was just pronouncing everything, it just annoyed me for the first sort of five minutes. And so it's hard to 
it's hard to get over that, isn't it? When the and the character in the film sort of is a bit annoying, you don't. Yeah. Want it, it, so, I I did actually think that that his character wasn't that interesting, and I think I would have preferred to see how Van Zandt would have come up against like like Gerard Butler's character is who's kind yeah. of a bit quippy and a bit kind of jokey and yeah. fun. There's just uh, you know well, we've we've talked we've said it before on the cast, but the, um, uh, because of the script and that, it just feels like the. They could have made a little bit more about people's backstories, or there was. It just seemed a bit because you saw obviously the bit with the, when he was a young lad and his mom dies, and he's got that personal sort of vendetta against the dragon, you know, as well as the fact that it's destroyed his entire world he's lived in. But but it doesn't go back to stuff that yeah. much. It would have been a, a bit more. Like I said, I, I'd have preferred to have seen things happening just after, like a couple of weeks after yeah. the dragons first appear, and how humanity deals start to deal with it. I, I've, ju- I've just had a thought. It's all, the whole thing is hinged on the fact that that a dragon killed his mother. But by the looks of it, the dragons killed a lot of mothers, yeah. and I think a lot of people would have similar kind. Uh, there's a lot of young kids in this film. Yeah. Because that's one of the things he's or doing. Orphan, because everyone's you know, yeah, except everybody's been orphaned. He's taken the kids with them and, and everything. So I, it's not why. Why is he so special? It's not like, I mean, does he feel responsible because something that he's because his mother was the foreman? Nice, nice progressive bit of uh, yeah, yeah, bit of work, bit of casting there. Nice Alice to see. Krieg, yeah, Alice Krieg, kind of wasted because she's a, a, a really good. Maybe yeah. there was more to it. Well, the, you know, it's weird as well because you got Isabella Sir, I can't never pronounce Sirocco. Sirocco, I think. Who I'd kind of forgotten that actually when when the. She was in Goldeneyes, haven't she? She played, yeah. and that, that's why when I see a sort of face, I thought, I know this face so well because I've seen Goldeneyes so many times, and I've probably like played and shot at the Talia on like the Goldeneye <laughs> N64 so many times. So it's uh, it's just it's funny how yeah, these things are just so etched into your psyche. But I had a, a feeling for some reason when there's like a love interest thing or like a love triangle part of the film as well and that that didn't materialise and for some reason I just I kind of remembered that in my head that maybe like there was something going on like with her when like Gerard Butler or something although it was like it was Van Zandt's wife or girlfriend and then like Gerard I, I don't know why but because I hadn't seen it so long in my head I thought oh there's going to be some sort of love thing going on which I'm very very glad they didn't because that would have slowed the film down immensely wouldn't it but it would have given the film much needed kind of uh, yeah it would have given it that that the kind of friction that it that, yeah it would have had it needed. It, it probably needs another maybe ten or fifteen minutes. What this movie needed most of all, which I put on the thing, was humour. I think adding a bit more humour into this film would have it would have elevated it into the kind of people that we like, like into like the rock type state or these sort of films that are so watchable because it's. There's there's hardly any humour at all in this film. There's probably three or four lines. Yeah. And Matthew McConaughey jumping off the top of a chimney stack, <laughs> which is kind of it's, you know, it's an, an awesome bit. It, it can't be unintentional. It is. It's there's no way when they were making that that I thought people aren't gonna people are gonna go. Oh my god, is he gonna survive? You know, that was just a, like a yes, like a cool laugh moment. I knew that that was what they were going for. It's quite weird because if you. It, if you think back, to the, there's loads of British films that that deal with deal with war and uh, mm. that have humour kind of embedded into them, like um, Spike Milligan's Adolf Hitler, My Part in His Downfall. Uh, and I know Kubrick's uh, American, but there's something very British about Doctor Strangelove. Mm. So we're used to having seeing humour in in the face of just absolute adversity, yeah. and it, it is a shame that. None of that came across, but it is from that period where I think films were trying to get serious and, and a little bit gritty. Yeah, it was like, well, yeah, because 2002, you know, you're in that sort of period, you know, with the coming out of the, the 90s, because you had a lot of those films that we've just talked about in the 90s, that these sort of action comedies with like great humour, you can't, obviously you can't air your face after you've gone in 60 seconds, the rock, all these sort of films, and then maybe they were, they were trying to be a bit more serious, like a new breed of action film I, I like the idea of having uh, a, a, a fantasy film about dragons being ha- having a contemporary setting and being being quite grounded and realistic yeah. but if it was realistic like I say there, there'd be some there would be people who have that kind of gallows humour about them yeah and it is 
something that's that's really conspicuous by its absence, well, especially in the, uh, the 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 slightly earlier bits where Christian Bale's kind of kind of a little bit light, and then Gerard Butler cracks a couple of jokes, and then yeah, you, that that is the only way that you would survive in a way. You know, you'd have you'd have to have that kind of temperament because if you'd watched you know pretty much everybody you knew and your world around you sort of burnt up by dragons, you would kind of. You need humour as a mechanism to get by when yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like this, the sort of the grimness of reality. It's like it's like trench in the trenches, and people were kind of funny and that you know, you know, people were dying all the time. It was terrible in the First World War, but they, they, there was that still that humour there because they needed that to get through. Which I did. I mean, I would have liked laugh out loud like humour in this film as well. Like, I'm really over the top. So. Just, just some some jokes, maybe Eddie Murphy in the back or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Eddie Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like cuts like the big actually, in the dark. Actually, maybe, maybe like it's two thousand and two Eddie Murphy, so it wouldn't have been funny. Yeah, instead of Gerard Butler, as like his psychic, like Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> instead. <laughs> <laughs> his dragons give me no respect at all. <laughs> like it just cuts to the bit like when you've got like they're doing this stuff for the kids, and then he cuts to later on the night. He's just doing like a stand-up set for the adults to keep them in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyway, we're we're just living in serious fantasy world now. Aren't we? Yeah, even but, more fantasy than the film. Yeah, but one of the things that I think they they really missed a trick at the end, of it, and maybe this is just my own personal film culture, but where you know he he kills the dragon. Eventually, Christian Bale finds another explosive arrow and manages to nail the perfect shot, which every single country army with all their thing in the world have failed to do for the past 50 years but Christian Bale manages to do it and he doesn't say small you son of a bitch when he does it oh, that, do you know when I was watching it that's exactly I was thinking that, that, this is the jewel you know because this is kind of like this is like the monster movie because they, cause they make reference to, to Jaws earlier on don't they do the shark one do the shark one yeah. after Star Wars so yeah yeah, that's a perfect place to say, smile, you son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, I know, but even if they'd have said something similar or just slightly, you know, it just would have been, but but people would have probably said something like that. If you've seen Jaws, you know, you, you maybe, I mean, I've, I've never encountered some sort of giant beast and had to kill it and shoot it in the mouth, but maybe at the time I was doing it, I might sort of be thinking, hey, this is like Roy, I'm like Roy Schneider's <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't if my life was at stake, but I'd, I'd like to think I would have that humour at the time to think, hey, I'm living out the finale of yours. <laughs> but that's just one of my one of my little personal gripes anyway. But that was, I thought it was just such a perfect moment for it. I'd forgotten about that so he killed him at the end and then while the dragon was coming, the mouth was open and he yeah. shoots it inside. I just thought, oh, it's basically Jaws. <laughs> I could have referenced it somehow. Do you know when I first heard about this film, I thought it was a pyromaniac version of Singing in the Rain. The rain of fire. <laughs> he can have a nice. That's, ad- the, that's the Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> <laughs> they did really need an advert for like asbestos umbrellas or something, didn't it? <laughs> oh dear! And on that horrific, horrific. Night, yeah. uh, have you watched Rain of Fire? Uh, have you watched it recently? Indeed, does it stand up to your pristine memories? It was not a disappointment like other things, but it. Oh I, no! I, I I would watch it again, and it's you know I've I've paid good money for it on Blu-ray, and it's not a second-hand one; it was brand new. So I yeah. obviously there is something that draws me to the film, and of course, it's it's the act scene that is the that is the, and that doesn't come until it's, like about five minutes before the end. So you have to sit through the whole film for that. We'll it's just go it's on worth YouTube. waiting for though. It's worth waiting. Well, it's on the trailer, but it's worth waiting for. The only the only scene that in sort of recent history that I can think of that's comparable to it is the bike scene in American Ninja. <laughs> that's the only thing that I can think of that where I could just watch it again and again and keep laughing at oh, it. <laughs> oh. I don't want to get into that, but no. no, I would recommend it to somebody if they hadn't seen it. If you like Matthew McConaughey, I mean, you know, if you like Christian Bale, it's, there are some people out there who do. As we are celebrating McConaughey, I will say that the the film really picks up when when Matt Mack turns up. Yeah, actually, there's one more bit before we go off that I've read on the about it. With we've got um, what's Doctor Bashir's and this? I can't think of his name. Uh, Alexander Siddig. And there's a thing about he said about when he was in the makeup trailer for the film. Um, the assistant director came in and said, um, uh, "Mr. McConaughey is coming on set soon." 
he wants everybody to call him Van Zan, even if you bump into him in like Dublin because it was filmed in Ireland or anywhere, you you to refer to him as Van Zan. And uh, he said like jokingly as the uh, as the guy he was going out, oh well, I'll ask him to like refer to me as Elvis and nothing like that. <laughs> but he said apparently he, ne- he never did call me Elvis. In fact, he never said anything to me at all. <laughs> so, I just like the idea of like McConaughey. That's why he's so intense, like coming on set dressed like that. And just aren't only people referring to him as Van Zandt. He went full method he on went full method. There's a lot. There's a, you hear a few sort of stories of that. I don't know how true a lot of these stories are because you. You know, actors like to Josh a bit, don't they? And, and yeah. Such bits. But I imagine there are when when you like some actors like when he's talking about oh, like Tom Cruise and you can't not look at him and all that kind of stuff. I've, 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 I've heard the, the the opposite of Tom Cruise that he's really because friendly. everybody that's ever worked with Tom Cruise just says about how how nice and how accepting and friendly he is and you know it, yeah it seems at odds with that like the weirdo Scientology personality that he has. But everybody that's worked with him said he's just the nicest bloke. He's just like a regular guy. Mm. Just oh, happens just happens to be the, the most famous and one of the most bankable movie stars in the history. Of I don't think he's got you know he's, he must have something because people wouldn't work with him. When you wouldn't be able to get the directors or all the other actors if they if they were true because people just don't want to you know as much as you can make money working with these big people you don't want the like three or four months of your life being held here working on something you want to work with people you can get on with. But anyway, we've digressed, as we do on this podcast. We haven't got a month dedicated to Tom Cruise. Not yet, because we can't think of some reasonable pun to put into his name. But leave that with me, (laughs) and I will see what I can go with. (laughs) So, Rain of Fire, let us know what you think. Uh, Twitter, BFGC Podcast, email bfgccast at gmail.com, or facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash BFGC Podcast. Now remember, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and wherever you can get good podcasts. What did you think of McConaughey then overall? Did you enjoy it? Would you like us to bring it back next year? I'm sure. And obviously, I mean, I'd like to do it again next yeah, year because there's, there's there's so much. We only have to do there. three films, which is you know, and then Matthew McConaughey. He's he's had pretty you know you call it probably eighty percent of his films. I'd say are pretty good, pretty pretty good. So there's a lot of material out there. So Ben and I are under discussion about whether to bring it back. So. You know, throw in your opinion too. Do you like this? Do you, you know, was you dreading it, thinking, "Oh, I don't like Matthew McConaughey. I'm not going to listen to the BFGC podcast in May. What on earth am I going to do? I have to take up drinking and smoking again <laughs> to combat <laughs> the pain." Or, hey, you know, hey, come on, our podcast is much cheaper than drinking and smoking. <laughs> well, at the moment, it's cheaper than anything else in the world. <laughs> but yeah, so let us know about it and. And of course, you know, as we've said before, we're moving on to June Claw Band Dam. So if you've got any films or any stories or any sort of trivia about Jean Claude Van Damme that you want to let us know about that you think we'd find interesting on the podcast, just shoot it over. Let us know. So until we start June Claude Van Damme, my name's Ben. And my name's Foz. And we'll catch you on the next Bad Films in Good Company. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Makana, 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 it's Makana Mage. First words ever said on film. Really? 1992, Daisy, if you're the first words I ever said on film. Makana Mage. All right, all right, all right. So, one inch. Makana. I go. I'm in my car. I'm out of the car. I'm out of the car.